0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us, or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, our senior pastor, uh, Bruce Hess, is on vacation this week. He is in Los Angeles. He cheered on his Huskers last night uh, against UCLA and uh, he's going to get no sympathy from me when he returns, but uh, he, he is away. And so with him away, he asked me if I would share some things today, and specifically he asked me if I would uh, share some things that God has been teaching me over the last month. Um, for those of you that, that know me, you know that the last month has been an interesting one in the Robinson household. Um, on July the 30th, my wife Kimberly had a kidney transplant. And uh, it was a, a pretty significant thing. It was a, a major marker in our summer. She had struggled with this really since 1985, and uh, it progressively got worse and, and something needed to be done. And so on July the 30th, she received a kidney from her sister, that picture you see up there on the screen, um, that was them the night before the surgery, reenacting the removal tr- the from the kidney from Angie to Kimberly. I thought that was pretty funny. But uh, here they are the, the day before uh, the surgery, and, and we just had this incredible event in our family of my wife uh, having this, this, this transplant. Um, and you know, there are so many things that I could share today about what God has done in the last month. Uh, there's so many ways I could share about things that God did, prayers that were answered. Um, she's doing r- remarkably well. Angie is as well. Um, there's so many things I could share in that story with you today. And, um, but as I, I prayed about what it is that, that I, would, I would talk about this morning, I felt like the Lord directed me to talk about something else, um, something that God taught me over the last month, not through the answered prayers, but through the questions that have been unanswered. Um, not through the things that have gone well, but through the difficult things um, and specifically you know what 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 happened over the last month or so was that I found myself having moments where I was anxious or frustrated or angry and um, those of you that know me know that those are not normal emotions for me um, and not that i 'm perfect, but i 'm a pretty laid back easy going person. It takes a lot to get me. To get me ruffled, but over the last month, I found myself being anxious or frustrated or angry um, several times. And, you know, th- those, those emotions really are like lights on the dashboard of your car. You know, when, when the check engine light comes on, it means that something is wrong under the hood. And when I was experiencing these emotions, I, I began to think, okay, what, God, are you trying to tell me through this, this experience? I'm angry. Why? I'm frustrated. Why? I'm anxious. Why? And over the last 40 days, I've spent some time just reflecting on why it is that I was experiencing those thoughts and those feelings. Um, and, and I've, I've kind of zeroed in on, to the best of my understanding, what, what has been going on with me. And the things that have been going on with me is when I f- feel this anger or this frustration or this anxiousness, it's usually because there's a situation that I care about but I feel out of control of. There's something that is happening in front of me that I wish I could affect change on but that I can't. And it, when, when I realize that that experience is happening, I begin to, to feel anxious or frustrated or angry. I'll give you some, some examples. Uh, you know, for a while, Kimberly was in ICU. She'd experienced some internal bleeding and, and things were going you know, rough in the first few days, and she wasn't feeling very good, and, and, and she would express that, I, I'm uncomfortable, I don't feel good, and I would sit in the chair and I'd think, I've got to do something to alleviate that, that feeling. And so I, I do what you would do if you were in that chair, you go find a nurse, and you say, what can you do for her to take that feeling away? And you know, the first time you ask, they, they can turn on a little morphine, or they can give a, a, a pill of some kind. But you know what, they have limits on those things. And sometimes that medication doesn't do the trick. And so you just have to sit there and watch someone you care about suffer. And when that happens, you begin to feel anxious or angry or frustrated because there's something you care about that you can't do anything about. Another instance would be things that would happen around the church. I would hear about a situation at the church, a situation that I would normally dive in, a situation I would normally be uh, involved in, uh, you know, knee-deep, and, and yet because of the, the context of what was happening in our life, I wasn't able to, and I would find myself getting frustrated or angry or anxious with, with other people, other staff, other situations, and, and I would think, where's this coming from? Why am I feeling this way? And the reality is because at some level, I was feeling responsible for something that I couldn't control. Now the the circumstances of your life are different than the circumstances of my life but I trust that my experience is not unique. There are times when you feel anxious or frustrated or angry because there is something going on that's just outside of your control. You you desperately care for your child. You want them to walk in the ways of the Lord, and yet they're not. And you, you look at that situation, and beyond just being heartbroken that they're not following the Lord, you find yourself angry or anxious or frustrated because you would love to control it, and you can't. Somebody dies. They have a situation. You get the best medical care for them possible, your wife, your, your, your husband, your, your child, your friend, whatever, and, and no matter what you do, it's not enough. You feel anxious, you feel frustrated, you feel angry. Maybe it's you feel anxious or frustrated, angry at others. Maybe it's directed towards God, but you find these lights on your dashboard going off because you find yourself in a situation that you care about, a situation that you feel responsibility for, and yet you can't affect the change that you want. You can't control it. Well, what do we do? If that's an experience that is consistent among people, and if you're not experiencing it right now, you will at some point. You'll find those lights on your dashboard going off because of this feeling of being out of control. Well, well, what do we do in those moments? This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the life of the Apostle Peter. If I have a problem with feeling a desire to be in control, and you have a problem with feeling a desire to be in control... Peter also had a desire of, of being in control. And, and his agenda and his actions are detailed for us where they come into to conflict with Christ. And it's in, in Jesus' interactions with Peter that I think we learn how we need to respond and how we can respond and the grace that is offered to us in situations that we can't control. And so we're going to look at that today um, in three different And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different stories of Peter's interactions with Christ through this lens. And then after we look at those three stories, we're going to uh, pull two principles that will help us know how we can respond uh, in light of this truth. So, um, let's look at these stories. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 16. So, if you've got a Bible, you can open there to Matthew 16, Matthew 16 is one of the famous passages uh, about Peter. It happened kind of midway through the ministry of Christ, and and Peter was achieving well as an apostle. Uh, Peter was the first one there. Uh, Peter was the one when Jesus was walking on water that didn't just observe the show but decided to hop out of the boat. Peter was the one that when Jesus asked the question, he's the one that spoke up. Peter was one of the, the, the really the leader of the apostles um, after Christ. He was just that well respected. And, and in Peter's endeavor to follow Christ, uh, God revealed some things to him that he revealed maybe ahead of the curve for the rest of the disciples. And one of the things that God had revealed to Peter was that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And on one instance in Matthew 16, Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, because God has revealed to you this truth. This is not something you've just figured out on your own. And then right after that, Jesus begins talking about going to the cross. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and that he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus didn't die on the cross by accident. He died on purpose very intentional that Jesus went to the cross. And he began talking about it with his disciples early on. Well, well, Peter, who has just said, you're the Son of God, you're the one who knows everything, you're the Messiah. Peter, who knows that about Christ, here's Jesus talking about going to the cross. And this is what Peter does in verse 22. It says, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. That's just an amazing statement. Peter is rebuking the Son of God. Okay, Jesus, let me come over here. I'm going to tell you how it really is. I know that you're talking about all this bravery stuff and you're going to to save everybody and and all this, but, but let me tell you how it's going to be, Jesus. He rebukes him. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, why did Peter do that? Why did Peter scold Christ? Why did Peter rebuke him? I don't believe that Peter did this out of ill motive. I think he did this out of a pure motive. I think Peter said this because he genuinely cared for his friend and he didn't want to see him scorned and beaten and mocked and killed. And just like an instance in, in, in our life where somebody might come to you and say, you know what, uh, I've, I've found that I've got terminal cancer, and you might be you know, prompted somehow to say, you know what, you're going to beat this. Really? You have the power to say that? You know it's going to work out? No, you're just saying, you know what, it's going to be okay. I'm, I, I want best things for you. Peter is saying to Jesus, surely this isn't the plan. Surely this isn't the way. Because I care about you, I don't want that for you. I want something else. In a subtle way, Peter is trying to control the situation. He's trying to protect his friend. But Jesus responds to him in verse 23. He turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men see Jesus is saying to Peter, He speaks very strongly to him, because he says, "Peter, even though you're caring about me, what you're offering up to me is an agenda different from what God wants. I know in your mind and from your perspective, Peter is say, or Jesus is saying to Peter, that it seems better for me not to go to the cross. But the reality is that God's plan is higher than yours. God's plan is better than yours, and you suggesting that I do something other than what God has for me is ultimately the same thing that Satan wants, is to take me away from offering my life as a ransom for many. See, from an early time, Peter was learning that it was not good to control the Savior, even for the best of motives second story we're going to see takes a similar theme, and it happens over in John chapter 13. In John 13, Jesus is having a last supper with His disciples in Jerusalem before He's to go to the cross. And while Jesus is having this last supper with His disciples, He does a very unique thing for somebody of His stature and role within the group. John chapter 13 and verse 3 tells us that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the washing of feet in the first century was very common. It was something that was done because people wore sandals and the roads were dirty, and as they, people would come into the house, there was a need for their feet to be washed. But what was unusual about this was not that feet were being washed, but it was the fact that Jesus was the one doing the washing. Normally, in a situation like that, um, it would have been a servant in the house that would have been the one washing the feet. Uh, Or if it wasn't the servant, it certainly would not have been the person of prominence in the party. It would have been one of the lesser knowns. Now, I was reading this thinking, okay, if it's just the 12 disciples who are there with Jesus, who might I expect to be the one to do it? I'm thinking, well, maybe Thaddeus. We don't know what he ever said. Uh, Maybe the other James. uh, We don't know. But certainly somebody, not Jesus, would have been the one who would have got up and started washing feet. And yet it was Jesus who gets up and starts washing feet. And Peter is sitting in one of the chairs, and he's watching Jesus go around, washing foot after foot of his peers. He watches him wash Judas Iscariot's feet. He he watches him wash Matthew's feet. He watches him wash John's feet. And finally, he gets over to Peter. And Peter's thinking, why did not those men stop him from doing this? It is highly inappropriate to have the Son of God, the Messiah, washing feet at the party. And so Peter finally speaks up when Jesus gets to him. He's thinking, the rest of you jokers got this wrong, I'm going to get this right. Jesus came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. That wasn't good enough for Peter. Peter thinks that they're having a game of volleyball in conversation here. Jesus just set that back over. Peter's going to spike it with what he understands to be the appropriate answer. He said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Again, for good motivation, based on the extent of his understanding, Peter is saying it is inappropriate for you, Jesus, to wash my feet. He tries to step in and control the situation to get it right. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you shall have no share with me. Now, that is harsh words, right? Think about that. Jesus just said, you shall have no share with me if you don't let me wash your feet. Now, at some level, we read that and we think, that is like an overreaction by the Savior. I mean, think of all of the things that Peter has done, will do, not allowing him to wash his feet would be the ender. That's, that's the last straw. But ultimately, what Jesus was indicating to Peter was, Peter, look, you've got to learn to let me lead. You've got to stop trying to control me. Well, Peter hears this, and he thinks, well, I don't want to have no share in him. So Peter steps in and says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head as well. What's he doing? He's going to control it in that direction. Not just there, wash all of me. And Jesus says, stop trying to control me, Peter. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. But not every one of you. They're referring to Judas Iscariot. See, Peter, based on good intention, based on good motive, was trying to get it right. But in his effort to get it right, he was trying to control the Son of God. And Jesus again instructs him You're not the one calling the shots. Third story, John 21. In John 21, you have the post-resurrection encounter between Jesus and Peter. This is the same one that we saw in the drama a little bit ago. And right after Peter has this reunion with Christ and he says, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep, after that interchange, after that conversation, Jesus speaks up and says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus says to Peter, you're going to die because of your faith in me. And we get kind of lost in the metaphor there, but it was pretty clear and the comment is is added, Jesus was saying this to say, you'll be martyred for your faith. And so Peter, who has been learning about following Christ and learning about Him calling the shots, hears this plan and asks the same question you and I might have asked, which is, what about him? What it says in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against Him during the supper. And it said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Well, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter goes, if I'm going to be martyred, what about John? It's only fair that if I'm killed, he's killed too. We're all in this together. And Jesus says, look, your job is to follow me. If I choose to have John stay on the planet for more years than you, I don't owe you an apology because I'm in control. Now, in these three stories, we see Peter learning to follow. We see Peter learning that control is not the preferable place between man and God. And in these three stories, I think we see maybe a couple of things, at least, that will help us as we seek to to live out and to to follow God uh, with our lives, especially in situations where things seem a bit out of control. Well, the first thing we're going to see is this. We're going to see that we have a need to look up. Not in or out. We have a need to look up. How is it that we can grow to appreciate? How can we respond appropriately when we're experiencing adverse circumstances that feel out of control to us? The answer for us is not just to look in and it's not to look out, it's to look up. But see, naturally what we want to do is we want to look in. That's, that's our natural response when difficulty happens. We want to examine our own situation, we want to examine our own uh, perspective. This is what Peter did. Peter heard Jesus talking about the cross and he looked inside and he said, that's not right. It's not right for my friend, for, for the Messiah to be subjected to that kind of adversity. He could have made a beautiful argument about why it would have been better for Jesus to continue on for 30 more years and establish a throne and a kingdom and all kinds of stuff and live out his days right there in Jerusalem without having the cross. If Peter looked inside himself and he looked at his own reason, his own expectations, his own hopes, that's what he would have would have found. When he looked at Jesus washing feet, he looks inside himself, and he says it's not right for the son of God to wash feet. Certainly not mine. When he looked to the future, he, th- he thought, it's, it's, not, it's not right for all of us to experience different things. We all got to experience the same thing. See, when we look inside ourselves, we don't find comfort. We find a story that we've told ourselves from the beginning, a story that might not be the best one see, in all of those instances, Jesus didn't want Peter to look in. He wanted him to look up. He said, not the things of of man, but focus on the things of God because his plan, his ways are higher than ours, and we need to look up there. You know what? This is the same thing that, that we need to do when we experience adversity, when we feel like things are going out of control, See, what we're gonna have the temptation to do is to look inside at this story that we've written inside of of our own logic and reason and hopes and expectations. And when that those things aren't being met, then we feel angry and frustrated and anxious. You know, for us, I, I could I could tell you, I could I could write you a story about how when Kimberly and I got married. Um, the things that we hope to, to to do and be and dream and and all these kinds of things with our lives, and you know what? One of the things that wasn't on the list was kidney transplant. Yeah, you know, it wasn't there. I know it's shocking to you to know that, um, but that wasn't that wasn't part of our that wasn't part of our story. We didn't get to choose that. It was beyond our control, and yet there it was. You know, you look at the things that 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 we and other people deal with. You look at things like like size of, of family. You know, people write a story, how many kids that you want to have. And you feel like you have the ability to control that situation. We can family plan. You want three, you can have three. You want six, you can have six. You want none, you can have none. And yet, the reality is there is no baby switch. You don't just get to go along and flip the switch, and then it all happens the way that you wrote the story in your heart happens the same way with your with your with your job and with your vocation. You write a story about where you're going to be at 30, where you're going to be at 40, where you're going to be at 50. And you think that you know you just flip the switch when you turn that age and you have the experience and you have the credential and this will happen and sometimes it doesn't. You find out that really you weren't in control. You, you think about that with, with with a spouse. You thought you'd be married by now. You thought you'd have a serious someone by now. You thought you'd still be married now. Yet that's not the case. You, you write a story about growing old and retiring and, and everything working out right, but you know, you don't just flip the retirement switch and get to enjoy it. Sometimes things happen. The money's not there. The, the health is not there. See, we spend our life with this illusion of control. We think that we control everything around us, when in reality, we don't. And when the things happen that aren't what's written on the inside of our story, if all we do is keep going back to the, the inside of us and look at that story, then all we're going to do is get anxious and angry and frustrated because it didn't happen the way that we wanted to, the way that we believe should have happened. It's only when we look up, not in, that we see that there can be a plan that is better than ours. You know, I can't tell you exactly why God has taken us through this. And you know what? I say this. You guys, there are those of you out there who are dealing with far worse things. I don't know why God's taken you through exactly what He's taken you through. I don't know why He's taken us through. But here's the deal by looking up, I have a category that says, God, you are going to do something to glorify yourself through this that is what you have for my life. It's what you have for Kimberly's life, it's what you have for ours. I might not be able to connect all the dots, but looking up, I have a different category for life. And you know what? When we're experiencing adversity, when we're experiencing difficulty, rather than, when, when, those, when those flashing lights are going off, angry, anxious, frustrated, whatever, rather than just looking in at our story and saying, why isn't it happening the way that I wrote it? Look up. There's a whole other category, a potential for life for us. Not just on the things of man, but on the things of God. We're to look up, not just in. And you know what? We're supposed to look up and not just out. That's, that's the other possibility is that, you know, people will come along and say, you're experiencing difficulty. What you need to do is you need to get out and serve others. And that's not bad advice. It's good to pour out our lives into others. But you know what? If, if we spend all of our time focused out, you know what will subtly happen? We'll start playing the comparison game. When we look out long enough, that, that's, that's part, of, part of what happens. You know, Peter says, um, I I want my experience to be at least better than John's. And if John was honest, he might have said, I I want my experience to at least be better than than Peter's. And when we look out, sometimes we can begin to think, you know, um, my experience is is harder than, than this person's. Why is that, God? That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. When we just look out, those are the kinds of questions that we ask. The reality is, if we look out and we, were, we had some kind of objective standard, which is impossible for us to achieve on our own, but if we were to have some kind of objective standard, you would find people that have it better than you, than worse than you, no matter, you know, whatever, just from your perspective, from your understanding. But if we spend all of our time looking out, then we're going to spend all of our time thinking about, why don't I have it the way they did? Why is my story not their story? See, our our hope in the midst of difficulty is not found by looking out. It's found by looking up. Because what Christ wants to do in and through my life and what Christ wants to do in and through your life ultimately have the same objective of glorifying Him and accomplishing His purposes, but they might look totally different. See, one of the things that we have to learn about control in life is that we, we find encouragement not through looking in and not through looking out, but through looking up. God's ways, not man's. Now, a couple of practical things that you can do with that. One of them is if you were to to think on the things of God, then you need to have God's truth before you regularly. Um, This is why you read your Bible, because this book points our heart and our mind to a reality beyond this place it points us away from the story we've written for ourselves and it points us away from a comparison game it points us to a savior in a reality that is beyond us and so we need to be reading our word the bible we need to read his word now and in the future, have a plan for that. But, you know, one of the things that I've found over the last month is one of the ways that God brought his truth into my life in a very real way during this season was not merely, it was not really through through reading that much, but it was through songs. You know, the the songs that that we sing here, the the songs that I I grew up with, the songs of of faith brought back uh, truth to me. When I, when I wasn't reading anything, because I was, I was tired or there was noise around, I would put some headphones in, I would listen to some music driving back and forth from the hospital, I'd be listening to music, and that was, that was encouraging to me because it was pointing me to God's truth through music. Now, I, I like to think that I have a pretty good memory for, you know, memorizing things, but it's amazing how much better I remember song than written word. I'm one of the, the, the things that never ceases to amaze me is that I could sing to you every word from the Bon Jovi "Slippery When Wet" album from 1987, um, you know. Uh, it, but I can't remember something I, I read last week. Well, well why is that? Because that music and that tune it got it in my head. I, I no longer ha- I had it only on cassette tape. That cassette tape warped somewhere in my car in high school, but I still remember all those words. Why? Because that music with a with words and a melody somehow stuck with me. Right? And one of the things that we need to do as believers is we as we sing is that it puts this truth to a tune that we can remember when we most need it. And we can sing in the car, we can sing in the hospital room, and we can point our minds to the truth. One of the other things that you can do is is develop and foster Christian community. Um, it is it is so important to gather with other believers who point your heart and your mind. Towards this other reality, um, because if we are only focused inside us, if we're only focused, um, even outside in a, in a comparison game, we're going to always be discouraged. You know, one of the things that I told some friends when this this whole thing was started is like, when you see me, let's not just talk medical stuff. Medical stuff is depressing. Um, it is. I mean, you know, we need it. God's provided for us. There's there's good things there, but you know, ultimately, it's it's a it's a sad. It's a sad reality, you know. My wife is doing really well right now, but one day she'll die from a medical reason, unless Christ returns. But you know what? One day I'm going to die from a medical reason too. Me- medicine ultimately ends in death, right? That's that's where it's headed. And I, when we go through difficulty, we need people around us that aren't just going to talk about something that leads to death. We need people around us that are going to talk about something that leads to life. And being around other believers, we have the opportunity to encourage each other with this incredible truth, and we have been the recipients of that over the last 30 days. It's been such a blessing to be pointed to the things of God during this time. When you feel out of control, we need to look up, not in, or out. One other thing I want us to see, beyond just looking up, we need to let him lead. We need to let him we need to let the Savior lead. See, when those flashbulbs start going off, the, the, the dashboard lights of our life, the anger, the anxiousness, the frustration, when that stuff starts showing up in front of us, letting us know that there's something going on under the hood. And sometimes what's going on under the hood is that we want to lead. We want to take the wheel away from, from our Savior because we believe we know what's best. We believe we know what should happen. We don't want to let him lead. We want to take it over ourselves. And when you begin to feel those feelings, uh, one of the things we need to remember is when we feel as though things are getting out of control, we need to remember that they're not out of control. They're just out of our control. We're actually placing our foot in in the hand of one who wants to wash it. So you think about Jesus being the Lord of our life. He desires not to harm us, but to help us. Not to hurt us, but to involve us in his plans. And his ways are higher than ours, but when he grabs our foot, though it might feel strange, he wants to wash it. When he says he wants to go to the cross, it's not so that he can leave us, it's so that he can save us. When he says that he wants to lead us into difficult situations, it's not because he wants to harm us, it's because he wants to involve Peter in the most significant thing that ever happened. See, we have to come to grips with the fact that when things feel out of control for us, we're merely placing ourselves. Now, I want to end with a story today, Um, and as we get ready for this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Uh, They're going to be leading us in a closing song here in just a moment, but I want to share with you a story of something that that God really has encouraged me with uh, over the last month or so. Um, Right before the transplant, we decided we wanted to have kind of a family fun day. So like July the 26th or whatever it was we decided we were going to go and have a family fun day. Well, if you want to have a family fun day in Norman, where do you go? Andy Alligators, right? That's exactly where you go. And and so we, like many of you, decided to go to Andy Alligators on this day to have a time of of fun together as a family. And we go there, and my my five-year-old son, he's all fired up. He loves to play all these games. We get some credit, and we... We play some putt-putt, and we, we go in, and we're playing these games. He's winning tickets. But after a while, he's, he's kind of tired of the of the kitty games, and he looks over, and he sees this big, like, deer hunter game. Um, and he goes, I want to play that game. And so, I, you know, I'm like, okay, you want to play that game? I look at him thinking, you can't even, like, see up over the, the edge, or you're not even able to hit any targets. I mean, you sure you want to do this? Let's go play, like, whack-a-mole. And that, that was, he was not going to be satisfied with whack-a-mole. He wanted to play deer hunter. And so I was like, okay, we'll play deer hunter. So I, I reached down to, to, to swipe the card to, to set up the game, and it's like $1.25 a game. Like he can't even see the top. I'm not going to pay $1.25 for him not to be able to do anything, right? But then, then I have this, this, this brilliant idea. There's two guns there, and I can scan and get one game, and I'm going to fire the loaded weapon, and he's going to feel like he's firing the other weapon and together we'll both feel like we're hitting targets, and it was so fun because it worked. Most of the time, strategies like this don't work as a parent. They worked this time, right? Um, we're, we're we're doing this, and he's going boom! I got it! Yeah, we're high fiving and all this stuff. It's just really just all exciting, and these, these deer are falling, and, and all this stuff is happening. Um, if if you have a moral objection, they were since synth- they were they weren't real. It was a video game. Um, so so there we are. We're, we're shooting these. We're shooting these deer, and um, it was a lot of fun. We'll. we'll Two weeks later, in the midst of all the stuff that was going on, and I I was having a day where I was particularly feeling discouraged and and, uh, anxious. And uh, God brought this story back to my mind. And um, what God was was encouraging me with that day was that though I felt like there were no bullets in my gun, he was standing beside me fighting for it. And you know what? Even in my strongest moments, we were still going to hit the same number of targets because he's the one that bought the ticket. You know, for all of us here, your circumstances are different than mine. Um, But you're going to feel out of control. When you do, know that there is one who is fighting know that there's one who loves you and cares for you who grabs your foot not to harm it but to wash it and we can rest in his hand please stand and join us as we close with singing